Children can be dismissed to Children's Church. It's for ages four years old through second grade. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be continuing in our sermon series, walking through the, the book of Acts. And as just kind of a recap, as we get to our passage this morning, we, we've, kind of, we've been observing in the sermon series the, the spread of the gospel moving throughout Jerusalem and then spreading outside of Jerusalem as God, God is continuing to fulfill the promise that he made through Jesus as Jesus was talking uh, to the apostles and he, he told them that they were going to be witnesses. The apostles and, the, and this extends to the believers that would follow were going to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and of the gospel throughout Jerusalem, out into all of Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the promise that was made in Acts 1 verse 8. And we've seen that unfolding as we've been walking through the book of Acts. We have seen the gospel spreading throughout Jerusalem. And then we saw last week at the the beginning of chapter 8 that there was persecution in Jerusalem. And so many believers and disciples spread out of Jerusalem, Philip being one of them. Philip left Jerusalem because of the persecution there, and he went to Samaria, and he took the gospel with him. And he shared the gospel in Samaria, and many people were saved as Philip preached the gospel in Samaria. So we see that promise being fulfilled that the gospel is spreading now outside the city limits of Jerusalem. That's going to continue this morning as we look at the end of Acts chapter 8. In this passage today, we get uh, not only has Philip now taken the gospel to Samaria, but we also now get an account, another account of Philip sharing the gospel. Let's pick up this morning by looking at verses, starting in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, as we see Philip now continuing to uh, uh, exercise his gift of evangelism. Starting in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he, he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. We'll stop there for now. Verse 26 opens with an angel of the Lord telling Philip to get up and go to a very specific place, a very specific road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we'll see that we see the Holy Spirit referenced again in, in verse 29. And we, all, we will also see it again in verse 39. We see the angel of the Lord, we see the Spirit, and we see the Spirit of the Lord referenced several times in this passage because there's an emphasis in this passage that God is the one at work. 
God is the one at work here. God is the one instructing Philip exactly where to go and, and moving him in that direction through his instruction because God is the one orchestrating this meeting between the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. Luke, as he writes this passage, wants to make that very clear, that this is God at work. Now, we know that Philip was an evangelist. He's actually known as Philip the Evangelist, this Philip that we're speaking of here this morning. He loved to go where people uh, needed to hear the gospel. Philip had this, this desire within him to share the gospel, and so it was natural for him to kind of move to places where people needed to hear the gospel. And that's worth noting because God directs this, this man who's hungry to evangelize, God directs him to a desert road that is probably not the first, wouldn't have been the first place on Philip's mind when he's thinking about what's the most strategic place that I could go to share the gospel. This probably wouldn't been, have been very high on the list. This desert road out in the middle of nowhere, hot sun, not a lot of water, probably wouldn't have been the highest, highest on his list as far as strategy goes. But God, in his kindness, is not only instructing Philip to go to this desert road, he's also working in the life of this Ethiopian man. God, by his divine power and by his sovereignty, has Philip moving on this road at the same time that he has the Ethiopian moving on the same road. God is orchestrating this meeting. This is a God-ordained meeting. The Holy Spirit is bringing these two men together for a very specific purpose. And I think it's, it's good for us to consider, if we just pause the story for a moment, it's good for us to consider how God works like this. Because did God need Philip in order to interact with the Ethiopian man? Was God dependent on Philip to, to interact or change the Ethiopian's life? God could have worked in the Ethiopian's life without Philip. God could have worked in the Ethiopian's life without anybody. He could have sent an angel of the Lord to the Ethiopian man and converted him on the spot. But God chose to work through Philip. And that's worth noting that God in his grace chooses, chooses to use people to carry out what he wants to accomplish. God doesn't need us to accomplish his work. He doesn't need us but he chooses to include us. And he includes us, and as he includes us, he is actively working in and through us as his people. He was doing this through the apostles in the early church. We've been seeing this over and over again. God is using the apostles to spread the gospel. He's working in and through people. He is actively working in the lives of the disciples and the apostles to spread the gospel. This is true today as well. God is actively working in and through you and me as individuals in order to accomplish the work that he wants to do in and through his church. 
This is God's design. It's the beauty of God's design that he would not only save us, but then he would then walk with us in this life, actively at work in our lives, shaping us more and more into the image of Christ, using us along the way to expand his kingdom, something that he could do on his own in an instant, but lovingly, kindly, graciously working in and through us as his people. And here's what that means today, just as a side note to this passage. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. God has a plan for you. That's why you're here. As a believer, God doesn't just take you to heaven at a moment's notice without leaving you here to do some work. He could. He could take us home, but he leaves us here. Paul wrestles with this in Philippians. He says, I'm ready to go home, but I'll stay if it means that God's going to use me to increase your joy. God has a plan for you. God chooses to use you to accomplish his work. And he wants you to know the blessing of being involved as Philip is being involved here. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you in this. If you find yourself going through life right now and you're unclear about how God wants to be using you, if you're not really sure how God could use you, Maybe, maybe you're in a, a busy season of life where everything is so busy that you just don't really have time to think about it. And it, things are just, there's just so much going on that it's not really so much about what God's doing, but it's just a matter of getting through the day and making sure I didn't drop a ball somewhere. Maybe that describes your life right now. Or maybe you're in a season of transition where maybe the kids are gone and you have more time than you've had in a long time. Or maybe you've entered into retirement and you have this, this space in your schedule now or this space in your life that you haven't really had before and it can start to feel a little bit like pointless wandering. And we start to try to fill that up a little bit. God has a plan for you. God gathers us into his kingdom and he has a plan for us because his, by his design, he chooses to work through people. So if you find yourself wondering, what is God's plan for me? I would encourage you, reach out. Reach out to a church family member. Reach out to an elder. Reach out to a deacon. We want to help you. We want to walk alongside you. It might be that God has something for you to step into, or it might be that he just wants to change your perspective and show you that he actually is using you. But if you're unsure, please reach out because we want to walk alongside you and help you get clarity in that. We want to help. God uses people to accomplish his work. So back to our passage. In his sovereignty and kindness, God lines things up so that this man from Ethiopia crosses paths with this evangelist Philip on the desert road. And in verse 27, we get a description of who this man is. He's an Ethiopian. So that means that this man was from a distant region. The, the, the region of Ethiopia in this day wasn't quite where modern-day Ethiopia is, but what Luke wants us to understand here is that this man was from a far region. This would have been known as the kind of the outer edges of the known world. This man was from a long ways away. This man was, was not from Jerusalem. This man was not from Samaria. This man was not from around there. This man is also described as a eunuch. Now, sometimes that could just refer to a government official, or it could refer to a man who had been emasculated which was actually common for governing officials. And in this case, 
I think Luke is making the, the point clear here that this man was both a governing official and a literal eunuch. This man also was responsible for a massive amount of wealth. He was the treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia, and he was responsible over all of the treasures of the kingdom of Ethiopia. Those are some things that we know about this man. We also know that he had heard somehow about the Jewish religion. He traveled all the way from his home country of Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple that was at Jerusalem. He had spent some time there in Jerusalem worshiping, and now he was heading home back to Ethiopia on this desert road. Let's keep that in mind. That's who, the description of who this man is. Now, as I've mentioned, leading up to this passage, the gospel has been spreading, and you'll remember that not only have, have, have the apostles been sharing the gospel with words, but it's been accompanied by amazing miracles. There are paralyzed people who have been able to walk, sick people who have been made well. Demons have been cast out of people. The gospel has gone to those who are marginalized by society because of their condition and fixed their condition. And the whole point of those miracles is to validate that this message is from Almighty God, who is not only able to heal the body, but is able to forgive our sins. So these miracles have been accompanying the, mess, the gospel message, and people who are sick or paralyzed or demon-possessed have been healed. But there's something different about this particular individual because this man isn't paralyzed. This man isn't sick. This man isn't demon-possessed. This man isn't a, a man in poverty. He's a high-ranking official and probably a very rich man, which would have been obvious by the chariot that he was riding in and the clothes that he was wearing. This man wasn't a stranger to God. He knew about God. He had traveled a long distance from his homeland to Jerusalem. There's some unique things about this man. And yet, in spite of the fact that he wasn't sick, in spite of the fact that he was rich, in spite of the fact that he wasn't hurting physically, he was hurting spiritually. He was wrestling internally. And here's why. While he was in Jerusalem, as a Gentile and as a eunuch, he would only have been allowed limited participation in the worship of God. Gentiles and foreigners were limited. They were considered outcasts, and they were limited to the outer court of the temple, the court of the Gentiles. This was the most outer courtyard of the temple. That's all the further they could go, if you were a Gentile or a foreigner. Additionally, Deuteronomy 21.3 specifically prohibited eunuchs from fully participating in worship at the temple. And this probably had to do with the fact that when God gave the law to the Israelites, and this might have been true even in the days of Christian, Christianity spreading in Jerusalem, it was common for self-mutilization to accompany pagan worship. 
And so God, in setting his people apart, said that that type of self-mutilation will not be a part of worship at the temple. And so eunuchs were barred from fully participating in worship at the temple. So this Ethiopian eunuch is returning from worship in Jerusalem where he would have been prevented from the full worshipful experience of the God that he wanted to know. The God that he traveled so far to worship, the God that he wanted to know, the God he wanted to love, the God he wanted to serve, he was prevented from fully worshiping him. But God has his loving eye on this Ethiopian man. And by his power and by his grace, God has the Ethiopian man cross paths with Philip. And when Philip sees the man, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go closer. Now I want to pause again for a minute and just think about what Philip would be seeing. Everything that Philip sees would have screamed, this man is not a Jew. And that's important for us to consider because the gospel was spreading outside of Jerusalem, but the gospel hadn't yet gone to full Gentiles. The gospel had gone to the Jews. The gospel had gone to the Samaritans who were half Jew, but the gospel had not yet gone to full-blooded Gentiles. And here is Philip encountering this man, and Philip would have known by the man's skin color, by the way he was dressed, by the chariot that he was riding in, everything that Philip would have observed would have screamed, this man is not a Jew. I think too often probably we allow our outward assessment of an individual to determine whether or not they are worthy of our time or our care or our respect. It's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to fall into that rut where we only have so much time and energy available and we fall into the trap or the rut of spreading out our time based on outward appearances or outward assessment. This person seems more worthy of my time and my energy and my care than this person over here. I think this is at least a small challenge to us to see how Philip responds in this situation. He takes this in. This man is not a Jew. This man is not from around here. This man is clearly from the outer edges of the known world. But the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go to the chariot. And Philip responds by running to the man. Philip hears what the man is reading. The man is reading out of the book of Isaiah. And so Philip, as he runs up to the chariot, he hears this man reading out of the book of Isaiah. And so Philip asks the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And in verse 31, the Ethiopian readily admits, I don't know. I don't understand what I'm reading. And he invites Philip up into the chariot so that Philip can explain what this passage means that the Ethiopian is reading. And that brings us to verses 32 through 35. So here we are introduced to the passage that the Ethiopian is struggling with. And as Philip explains these passages, the beautiful thing that we see here is the Ethiopian eunuch 
has his ears opened to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, starting in verse 32 now, picking back up. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away, taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The passage that the Ethiopian man is, is reading is from chapter 53 in Isaiah, known to us today as the suffering servant passage. And the Ethiopian eunuch asks, who's this passage about? And starting with this verse, Philip shares the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ with the Ethiopian eunuch. Starting with this passage, Philip shows that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant that Isaiah writes about. Now, Luke doesn't give us all the details, and in all reality, Philip was probably, he's on his own here with the Ethiopian man, so at some point, Philip shared this account with Luke, and then Luke wrote it down, so we don't get all the details about how this conversation went, but I think we can have a pretty good idea if we just imagine for a moment. I think we can kind of track most likely where Philip would have gone. Starting with these verses, Philip would have shared how this entire passage talks about the horrible, unjust death that Jesus experienced. Philip would have shared with the Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus was despised and rejected by men as the suffering servant. Philip would have shared that Jesus was considered a disgusting outcast. And Philip, was, and Philip would share that in this passage, Jesus, this Jesus that he speaks of was actually called a man of sorrows. Philip would have shared that this innocent Jesus, who, this, this man Jesus who was innocent before God and man was unjustly beaten beyond recognition and murdered. But it wouldn't stop there. Isaiah 53 says, 53, 5 says, and surely Philip would have shared this with the Ethiopian, this man Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 12 says, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Surely Philip would have shared about this unjust treatment and murder of Jesus Christ and also how through Jesus Christ, our sins are fully forgiven because Jesus rose again from the grave and conquered death, took all of God's punishment, and then gives us new life through his resurrection. Surely all of that would have been included in the good news of Jesus Christ that Philip shared. 
And then maybe, it, so if we picture for a moment how they were reading this, they wouldn't have had the Bible like this. It, didn't, it wasn't bound like this. It didn't have the chapter breaks that we have today. It would have been in a, on a scroll. And so maybe as he walked through this passage that the Ethiopian was reading, maybe, maybe Philip would have said, look down just a little bit further. Because as we get into what we today call chapter 54, as we get into that, Philip would have been able to share, look at all these promises that God gives. Look at all these promises in chapter 54. The promise that God gathers himself to us, or to himself. God gathers us to himself as his redeemed people. There's a promise in there that God is no longer angry with his people because of what Jesus has done. 54, the end of 54, verse 9 says this, this is God speaking to us as his people. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And so as they would have kept reading, kept reading in the scroll, Philip would have been able to share with the Ethiopian, look at these beautiful promises that God gives us. There is nothing in life, none, none of the treasures in Ethiopia could ever, could ever measure up to the promises that God gives us in Jesus Christ. And then as they kept reading in the scroll, they would have came to chapter 55 where God invites people to come and experience, come and eat of God's promises, of God's blessings. In chapter 54 or chapter 55, God says, come and eat and drink of these blessings that I have for you. Verse six in chapter 55, they would have come across this as they continued to read in the scroll. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that the Lord may have compassion on him. Let him return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. They would have read this and Philip would have invited the Ethiopian, this is all available to you through Jesus Christ. You're invited to come to God, not to a temple, but to the throne of the living God through Jesus Christ, where all of his promises can be yours. And at that point, maybe the eunuch would have cried out, yes, I want that. Yes, I want those promises. Yes, I want to respond to that invitation. I want to come to God. I want to come to the throne room of Almighty God. Yes, I want that. But I'm an Ethiopian and I'm a eunuch. And so maybe, maybe that would be his response because that's what he's been wrestling with. And I have to believe that Philip would have taken him just a little bit further in the scroll to chapter 56 of Isaiah, just a couple pages later in our, in our Bibles today, where God says, I invite you, foreigner, I invite you, Gentile, I invite you, outcast, and even specifically, I invite you, the eunuch, to come. Come and worship me as your God. He specifically invites the eunuchs to come. 
Verse 8 of chapter 56 in Isaiah says, The Lord who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides those who are already gathered. Philip would have had the joy of sharing with this eunuch, yes, even you, even you a Gentile, even you a eunuch are of equal value in God's eyes. And you receive the same invitation as everyone else. We don't know exactly how the conversation went, but we can be sure that Philip showed, starting in these verses in Isaiah, how the scriptures point us completely to Christ. At some point, Philip would have explained to the Ethiopian, all these promises of God can be yours. You are invited, you, you are invited to come and know God. Come, repent, believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Philip would have shared this with the Ethiopian. He would have said, through faith in Jesus Christ, Ethiopian eunuch, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are fully welcome and fully accepted to come and worship the one true God. That's the open door of the gospel message. Come and believe in Jesus Christ and be fully welcomed and fully accepted by God. If you're here this morning and you haven't turned to Christ as your savior, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who brings you into the storehouse of God's blessings, if you haven't experienced the reality of being fully accepted and fully welcomed into God's eternal covenant family, if you have not responded to that invitation yet, the door is open for you today, and I can guarantee you there is nothing, nothing bigger or better than being fully welcomed and fully accepted by the God who created you and loves you. There is nothing. All the treasures in Ethiopia, all the treasures in the world couldn't measure up to what Philip was offering this man. So the Ethiopian eunuch, he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and he recognizes that he is fully welcome to worship God through Jesus Christ. So he responds. He responds with faith. He responds with belief. Not only is God working outward to bring these two together, God is, on, God is working on the inside. He, is, he has regenerated the heart of this Ethiopian man so that he's able to see and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he responds and he wants to get baptized. This brings us to the final five verses of our passage here where we see the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized. Picking up in verse 36. And they were going along the road, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, which is unique in itself out in the desert. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and, and went on his way rejoicing. 
But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. In verse 36, we're told that they see some water. They come across some water as they travel along. Philip is riding along with the Ethiopian man. They're, they're bouncing along in their chariot, and they, they come across this water, and the Ethiopian says, what prevents me from being baptized? In my opinion, this is the highlight of this passage because the answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. That's the beauty of this passage. The Ethiopian eunuch was prevented from fully worshiping God in the temple by things that he could not change about himself. And now he's fully welcomed and accepted by God based on nothing that he did and based entirely on what Jesus Christ has done for him. What prevents him from being baptized? Nothing. There is nothing left to do. Christ has done it all for us. Nothing stands in the way. No sin is too great. No baggage is too heavy. Nothing is left to do. Come, in the name of Christ, come and worship as fully accepted, fully welcome children of God. That's the message of the gospel. I'd imagine that Philip maybe could have come up with a lot of, a lot of excuses as to why he didn't really want to go down this road that day or however many days it took him to get there. He could have wrestled with, oh man, that's a that's going to be a long walk all the way out there. It's going to be hot. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's probably going to be dusty. I don't think there's not even a lot of people out there. It's probably not the best place to go. I'm busy. I just, I just shared the gospel with a bunch of people in Samaria, and they all got saved, and I'd like to follow up with some of them. I'd like to go to some cities maybe where I could share the gospel in some of their temples and tabernacles, synagogues. Got some things I could be things I could be I'd rather be doing or could be doing that wouldn't include traveling down this road. He could have came up with some excuses, I'm sure. But there is something that drives Philip that we need to have driving us. It is a recognition that this gospel message is so, so beautiful, so amazing. This open door of the gospel message has to be what moves us or we will always wrestle with the other things we could be doing. We will, also, we will always wrestle with insecurities. We'll always wrestle with, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Is that what I'm supposed to be going? I think I messed that up. I think I maybe said that wrong. All these insecurities, all these excuses will always plague our mind unless we are just driven by the reality that God is the one at work and this gospel message is the only message that is really worth sharing. That's what drove Philip out to this desert road. He was exploding with the gospel. He could not keep it in because it was so real and so magnificent to him. He couldn't imagine keeping it in. And so when God compels him to go and he sees a man who needs to hear the gospel, he can't help but run to the chariot. If we're wrestling with going, 
This is where it starts. It starts with realizing the beauty and the magnificence of the gospel as it applies to you and to me. And as that starts to stir in our hearts, we'll move. We won't be able to do anything but move when the gospel is stirring in our hearts in that way. One thing I'd like to note here, you may notice that verse 37 is missing from your Bible. Uh, If you have the ESV, that verse is a footnote that says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So verse 37 would come right after when the Ethiopian eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37 would be inserted there to say, well, you can as long as you believe. And then he responds with, I believe. Now the ESV uh, and probably other English translations have that particular verse footnoted because it doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts. So I just wanna, I wanna, just take a, just a, a few minutes to just um, give you some confidence in what we have here as God's word when we come across something like that. Uh, th- this verse 37 was not in the earliest manuscripts. It was probably added later as a point of clarification. It was probably added by a scribe who wanted to make sure that the Bible and the teaching of the Bible wasn't drifting into what we might call universalism or easy believism or, hey, as long as you just, uh, as long as you just say yes, then I'll baptize you. There might have been a little bit of a guard against that to say, hey, we baptize on belief. We baptize on a profession of faith, that, that the baptism is attached to your profession, right? So there might have been just an effort to clarify, but it wasn't there originally. Luke didn't include it, and that's Okay. Because first of all, what verse 37 says doesn't change anything. We know that Philip would not have been sloppy or loose in sharing the gospel. He would have called the man, the Ethiopian man, to repentance. He would have called him to respond to the invitation of the gospel. He would have heard the man say, yes, I believe. So adding verse 37 or not having it doesn't change the the story. It doesn't change any Christian doctrine that we have. It's okay that Luke didn't include it. Luke wasn't being sloppy either in his writing. Second, when we come across instances in the Bible like this, it's good for us to remember there are thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that are used to come up with this. Thousands upon thousands of manuscripts that have been found that are the basis for what we have here today. And on, on the basis of those thousands upon thousands of manuscripts, there is 99.5% agreement. So as the manuscripts have been discovered, 99.5% of the time across all the thousands of manuscripts, this has been the product. This is, the, the manuscripts are so aligned that there is 99.5% accuracy that this is what was originally written. 99.5%. The accuracy is unheard of, and the amount of manuscripts we have is unheard of with any other document of that time. This is a reliable source. Of the other 0.5% where there is some variation, most of it is spelling or character character marks or things like that, and nothing changes the core doctrine of the Christian faith. 
So I want to share that with you this morning. Maybe you could just read over that and not even notice that it's missing, but I want to share, you, share that with you this morning because this is a reliable source of truth spoken by God, given to us with his authority. So when God says you are fully welcome and fully accepted, that is 100% true. Nothing can undermine the accuracy or the authority of the scriptures that we have today. The Bible is the reliable and trustworthy, authoritative word of God. And so to finish this morning, we pick up in verse 38. We see that nothing prevents the Ethiopian man from being baptized. So Philip and the Ethiopian man go down into the water together. A man from Ethiopia and Philip from Jerusalem go down to the water together, brothers in Christ. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and immediately Philip is carried away to another town. God has more work for him to do. But that's okay. This was never about Philip anyway. This was about God doing his work through Philip. As for the Ethiopian, he goes on his way, but his life is changed forever. He goes on his way rejoicing, but his life is changed forever because now he is an eternal child of God. He's been brought into God's covenant family forever. And now, now, the Ethiopian's baptism that he experienced at the hands of Philip, the Ethiopian's baptism and ours, your baptism, my baptism, the Ethiopian's baptism serve as a constant reminder that we've been united eternally to Christ. We've been united to Christ in his death. We've been united to Christ in his resurrection. It's amazing when you see Paul exhorting Christians to grow in their faith. He brings up your baptism. In Romans and Colossians, he does this. Remember, you were baptized in the name of Christ, and you are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. And through that union with Christ, you are now a fully welcomed, fully accepted child of God. Your baptism, my baptism, the Ethiopian's baptism is a physical reminder of that reality. Our baptism reminds us it's okay. It's okay when we don't have it all together. It's okay when we struggle with guilt when we struggle with our flesh, it's okay because our baptism reminds us we can go to God. We can go to God as imperfect people and we can confess our sins to him and we can repent without feeling like we have to clean ourselves up first because our baptism reminds us that we are fully welcomed and fully accepted into the throne room of God as his children. We're about to enter into a new year and the New Year's resolution kick is in high gear, and there, there's some, there can be some wisdom to that. I don't know if you have New Year's resolution set or if you're a goal setter yourself. There probably is wisdom in setting some goals for yourself to want to learn how can, I, how can I serve God more? How can I take on the battle against sin more this year? How can I grow in my understanding of who God is? 
there's some healthy goals that we can set. And maybe even, even if it's physically or whatever it is, that it's, it's okay. It can be good. It can be wise to set goals. But I want to remind you as we enter into a new year, whatever goals you set, whatever you try to do to better yourself, whatever you try to do to become better at something or become more at something, if you do that or if you fail, you will never change the fact that you are already, already in Christ, fully welcomed and fully accepted by your God. That reality remains whether you're able to knock out every New Year's resolution or you fail on the first day. It doesn't change that reality. You are fully welcomed and fully accepted by your God. That's the open door of the gospel message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the open door of the gospel message. As people who were lost in our lost state, there are so many reasons we could come up with to not come to you, to not respond to your invitation with faith, to not respond to your invitation with humility, to not respond to your invitation with repentance, but to continue in our rebellious ways. We could come up with so many reasons why we want to continue on our own path and reject the invitation that you give us in Jesus Christ. And Father, you are so patient and so good that you would continue to leave that door open. To this day, that door is open. And we thank you that you have allowed those here today who are believers, that you've allowed us to walk through that door by your power and by your grace, that you've drawn us through that door. And Father, I pray if there is someone here today who has not been drawn through that door into eternal life, that you would draw them through that door this morning, that they would respond to the invitation as the Ethiopian man did, that they would realize there is nothing that stands in the way of walking through that door with faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, for us here today who are believers, who you have brought to yourself, I pray that you would remind us over and over again that you would remind us our baptism is the physical reminder that we are fully accepted and fully welcomed by you into your family as your children. That we no longer have to exhaust ourselves trying to impress others. We no longer have to exhaust ourselves trying to earn the approval of the people around us. We no longer have to exhaust ourselves trying to accumulate wealth or anything else in this life as a means of our identity. We can simply enjoy the reality that you have called us to yourself and that nothing stands in the way of our acceptance and being welcomed into your family. Father, thank you for extending this open door of the gospel to us today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.